0: Well, we finally come to the first chapter of Ezekiel. Please open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 1. A vision of the glory of God. Ezekiel 1. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chebar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. Verse two, on the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzai in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chebar, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Then I looked, and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire." Also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces, and each one had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. The hands of a man were under their wings on their four sides. And each of the four had faces and wings. Their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man. Each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side. And each of the four had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces, their wings stretched upward. Two wings of each, of each one touched one another, and two covered their bodies, and each one went straight forward. They went wherever the Spirit wanted to go, and they did not turn when they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning, the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning now as i looked at the living creatures behold a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces the appearance of the wheels and their workings was like the color of burl and all four had the same likeness the appearance of their workings was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel When they moved, they went toward any one of four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. As for their rims, they were so high, they were awesome. And their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went, because there the Spirit went. And the wheels were lifted together with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads, And under the firmament, their wings spread out straight one toward another. Each one had two which covered one side, and each one had two which covered the other side of the body. When they went, I heard the noise of their wings like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty, a tumult like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. A voice came from above the firmament that was over their heads. Whenever they stood, they let down their wings, and above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of a throne in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard a voice of one, speaking. So far, the reading of God's Holy Word. It triggered one of the largest evacuations in U.S. history. In 1999, the world was captivated by the awesome power of Hurricane Floyd. Hundreds of thousands of people were ordered to evacuate the Florida coast as Floyd threatened to charge towards them. Numerous people departed from the Carolina coast for fear of the storm. At the beginning of that week, it was said that Floyd was one of the most powerful storms ever to threaten the United States. With 250 kilometer hour winds, it was predicted that it might cause enormous damage. Hurricane Andrew in 1992 caused almost $38 billion in damage, killed 26 people, and left 160,000 homeless. It was said that Floyd was much larger than Hurricane Andrew. When we consider a hurricane of such magnitude, we begin to feel very small. The freeways were lined with cars as people tried to escape the potential destruction. There was a mass exodus. We cannot even begin to understand the amazing force of such a massive hurricane. When we see the satellite images, we are astonished and humbled by both the power of the storm and the frailty of man in the face of it. The congregation, as amazing and humbling as such a hurricane may be, It is really only a minor demonstration of the power of God. In our scripture reading for this afternoon, we we read of how Ezekiel received a vision of the majesty of God that was far more glorious and awesome than that revealed in the strongest hurricane. We want to consider, first of all, the circumstances in which he received the vision. Second, we'll contemplate the meaning of the vision. And third, we'll ponder the response to the vision. Our chapter begins by giving us some information about Ezekiel and the situation he was in when he received this vision of the glory of God. Please follow along with me in your Bibles at verse 1. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, On the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chebar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel. Commentators have offered various suggestions on what is meant by the 30th year, but I think it's best to understand this as a reference to Ezekiel's age. He had been deported from his beloved homeland when he was 25 years old. Verse 2 says that it was in the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity. Ezekiel had been in Babylon for five years when he received this vision. Now, just to refresh your memory for a moment, especially for those who have not been able to be here in the, in the past three weeks, I want to take you back to Ezekiel's earlier years. He was born during the reign of King Josiah, if my calculations are correct, he was born in the same year that the book of the law was found in the temple. Being a godly king, Josiah ordered that the temple be repaired and cleansed. While that was being done, the book of the law of Moses was discovered. The reading of the law so convicted Josiah of the sins of the nation that he began to labor with great zeal for the reformation of Judah. For the first 13 years of his life, Ezekiel was blessed by being under the rule of godly Josiah. He also benefited from the ministry of the prophet Jeremiah. He grew up during a time of reformation, restoration, and renewal. King Josiah was truly an exceptional man. He destroyed the images executed the priests of Baal, and broke down their altars. He also commanded that the Passover be celebrated in Jerusalem. He directed the nation back to their God and Savior, back to the gospel. But tragically, with the death of Josiah, those 31 golden years of Judah came to an end. He was the only king of Judah to be succeeded by three of his sons and one grandson, but sadly, All of them were evil. After the death of of Josiah, his son Jehoahaz was crowned as king. Jehoahaz did not serve God. Therefore, after just three months on the throne, the Lord sent Pharaoh Necho, who defeated him, and carried him off to Egypt. Pharaoh Necho appointed Josiah's second son, Jehoiakim, as king. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord. He rejected the warnings of the prophet Jeremiah and even tried to kill him. Because of his apostasy, the Lord sent Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, against him. And it was probably during one of the battles with his raiding bands that Jehoiakim was killed. After his 11-year reign, Jehoiachin, his son, was crowned in Jerusalem. Because he was wicked like his father, he only lasted three months on the throne. In the year 597, Nebuchadnezzar and his armies came pounding on the gates of Jerusalem and Jehoiachin surrendered. He was arrested, made a prisoner, and led off to Babylon as the prophet Jeremiah had predicted. Jeremiah said, you shall die in Babylon. It was during this deportation of 597, 12 years after the death of Josiah, That Ezekiel was led away into captivity. So that's where we find him in verse 1. He's 30 years old, he spent five years in Babylon, and he's among the captives by the river Chebar. It's hard to imagine what Ezekiel and his fellow captives went through during those five years. Their lives were drastically changed as they were uprooted from their land and made to settle by the Chebar canal in Babylon. This was especially felt by Ezekiel. Why? Because verse 3 mentions that he was what? A priest. A priest. As a young man, Ezekiel would have been educated and trained for priestly service, trained in all the elaborate procedures of temple worship. As a young man, he anticipated serving in the temple of God, but it all fell by the wayside as when he was brought to Babylon. In the Old Testament, a priest assumed the full responsibilities of the priesthood when he was 30 years old, Numbers 4, verse 3. When a young man turned 25, he could enter the priesthood as an apprentice. Numbers 8 says that those who were 25 years old would begin to perform service in the house of the Lord. For five years, they would serve as an apprentice, and when they turned 30, they would assume the full responsibilities of priesthood. And so Ezekiel missed out on that opportunity altogether. When he was 25, he was carried into exile. And when he was 30, the age of full responsibility, he was living far from Jerusalem, not far from the capital city of King Nebuchadnezzar, laboring in Babylonian wastelands. He was far removed from the temple. Unable to worship and serve in accordance with the law of Moses. Not able to perform the task for which he had been trained. What a discouraging time it was. Some of you here this afternoon may be going through various trials in your life. Perhaps there are things that you wrestle with. Things that get you down. There are times when you may feel alone and even abandoned and forsaken by God. Well, Ezekiel knew exactly what that was like. When Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem, his whole life fell apart. Psalm 137 says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Ezekiel had spent five years in Babylon, and there seemed to be no hope of restoration. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. Ezekiel's name means what? God strengthens. God strengthens. However, at this particular time, it seems though God had given up on His people. The strength of God was against them rather than with them. God was strengthening the Babylonians rather than the people of Judah. What future was there for Ezekiel and the people of Judah by the Chebar Canal? They were cut off from the land of promise, cut off from the place where God made his presence known, cut off from the temple, cut off from the sacrifice and the shedding of blood at Mount Zion. It seemed hopeless no gospel the congregation we see from this first chapter of Ezekiel that even though the nation of Judah was suffering under God's covenant curse in Babylon the Lord had not utterly forsaken them after five years in exile we read in verse 1 have a look there verse 1 that the heavens were opened And Ezekiel saw visions of God. Verse 3, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chebar, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. In that lonely wasteland, the Lord came to Ezekiel and revealed his glory. In a time when there was little hope, he was grasped by the hand of the Lord and granted a revelation of his majesty. Let us remember, congregation, that in our greatest trials and moments of loneliness, in those times that we fall into the valley of despair, God sees us, knows us, and does not forsake those who fear him, those who have trusted his son. In his 30th year, Ezekiel would have had the privilege of serving God in his temple, but instead, God came to him through supernatural revelations so that Ezekiel found the banks of the river Chebar to be what? A sacred sanctuary. God showed him that his presence was not confined to the temple in Jerusalem and that the service of God was not restricted to the temple. Ezekiel could not function in the normal role as priest, but God called him instead to the task of a prophet, spokesman to the captives. So let's have a look, secondly, at the meaning of this vision. The meaning of this vision. If there is one thing that people remember about the book of Ezekiel, it is the symbolism and pictures. Ezekiel's prophecy is filled with many vivid pictures more than any other Old Testament book. He has much in common with a New Testament author. Who is that? Well, of course, it is the Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation. Some of the same pictures are found in Revelation that we have here. When we interpret these visions, we need to be careful not to get lost in the details and thereby miss the point of the total vision. We need an understanding of the overall picture. What was it that Ezekiel saw when the heavens were opened? Well, look with me, please, in your Bibles to verse 4. Then I looked, and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, A great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself and brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Ezekiel saw an immense storm approaching from the north. He saw a whirlwind and a storm cloud accompanied by raging fire. The fact that the storm came from the north is significant for the north is always the direction from which Judah's enemies came. The prophet Jeremiah said, I am bringing disaster from the north. Out of the north, calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. Disaster appears out of the north and great destruction. When Ezekiel saw this storm out of the north, No doubt he was immediately reminded that God was coming to judge his people. As he continued to observe the approaching storm cloud, he noticed that it was alive with winged creatures. Verse 5. Also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures. Now, if you were to go to Ezekiel 10, you discover that these living creatures are identified as what? Cherubim. When God created the angels, the Bible seems to indicate that He created different classes. The cherubim were those who guarded the entrance to the tree of life, they were also the ones who guarded the holiness of God in the tabernacle and temple. It was the cherubim who overshadowed the ark of the covenant. Cherubim were woven into the curtains and veil of the tabernacle and and carved into the walls of the temple. In the book of Revelation, cherubim stand as fearsome guards of God's throne. In this vision, the cherubim are described as each having four faces. Each of them had the face of a man, the face of a lion, the face of an ox, and the face of an eagle man is the crown of creation the lion is the king of wild animals the ox is chief of the domesticated animals and the eagle is chief of the birds this appearance of the cherubim suggests that they are intelligent ferocious powerful and swift they can look in any direction at once Two of the four wings that they each possess are stretched upward, touching each other so that they form a square. They are able to see in all directions, move in all directions, and their speed was like that of lightning. Verse 12 says, They went wherever the Spirit wanted to go, and they did not turn when they went. Furthermore, These cherubim were situated at the four sides of God's chariots. Verse 15 mentions the wheels that were beside each living creature. The wheels are the wheels of God's chariot throne. These wheels are rather fascinating. Verse 16 describes them as a wheel within a wheel. Commentators have come up with all kinds of allegorical interpretations on what that means, but it seems to me the explanation is not as difficult as some have made it out to be. The vision of the four living creatures, each having four faces, teaches us that the cherubim are able to see in all directions and move in all directions with the speed of lightning. The wheels within wheels need to be understood in the same way. The wheel within a wheel is not a little wheel encased in a big wheel, but rather two wheels of the same size intersected at right angles. Two wheels of the same size intersected at right angles. The point is, if one wheel intersects the others at right angles, then they can move in four directions without having to turn. It's kind of a gyroscopic design so that God's chariot throne is able to move about in all directions. Look with me to verse 17, when they moved, they went toward any one of four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. The chariot throne can move about quickly and easily, and the wheels know where they're going for they are full of eyes. Verse 18 says, as for their rims, they were so high, they were awesome, and their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. But then, congregation, the real climax of this vision is not the cherubim or the chariot or the wheels, but rather the climax of the vision is the throne of glory and the one seated on it. As Ezekiel continues to describe what he sees, his eyes focus on the firmament or the expanse. Verse 22 tells us that above the heads of the four living creatures was some kind of vast platform the color of crystal. Verse 26 then goes on to say that above this firmament, this expanse, over the heads of the cherubim was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire stone, and on the throne was the appearance of a man high above it. The description of this man on the throne is absolutely breathtaking. He appears to be on fire. Look please to verse 27. Also, from the appearance of his waist upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around. And then verse 28 adds that the brightness resembled the glow of a multicolored rainbow. The rainbow is a symbol of God's unfailing covenant faithfulness. And then verse 28 concludes by saying, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. To sum it up, congregation, what we have in this chapter is an impressive picture of God's throne chariot driven by the Lord himself and drawn, as it were, by four heavenly creatures. As the cherubim move about, their wings sound like the noise of many waters and like the noise of an army. Verse 25 indicates that they are directed by the voice of him who sits on the throne. They go where he directs them with lightning speed. The intelligence, power, and swiftness of the four living creatures magnifies the awesome glory of him who sits upon the throne. Now I find it striking, brothers and sisters, that while Ezekiel is away from Jerusalem, away from the temple, he receives a vision that is reminiscent of the temple. The cherubim bring to mind the cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant. The throne chariot brings to mind the ark itself. The ark was referred to as a chariot in 1 Chronicles 28 verse 18, a chariot. The ark is also called the throne of Yahweh. And so the symbolism that is found in this vision certainly must have brought to mind the Jerusalem temple. But at the same time, it also provided a lesson for Ezekiel. And the lesson was this. Even though Ezekiel was cut off from his homeland and cut off from the temple, he was not cut off from the Lord God. God's massive chariot descended right there by the river Chebar in Babylon. Ezekiel was shown that even though Babylon ruled over them, It was the Lord who was still in control. All the splendor, power, and might of Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom were worthless when compared to the awesome glory of God. From a human perspective, Nebuchadnezzar was a great king. But the God of Israel was the king of kings. Nothing could restrain him from going where he wanted to go and doing what he wanted to do. Nothing and no one could resist the power of him who sits upon the throne. Do you believe that today as well? In a world of so much confusion, Anxiety and fear, are you resting your hope and confidence in this majestic God? Are you confident that He is on the throne, even in your valleys? And do you believe that He is worthy of your praise? Well, we come then thirdly from the circumstances in which Ezekiel received the vision and the meaning of the vision to the response, point number three. The response is recorded in the last verse. Have a look there, the very last verse. So when I saw it, I fell on my face. So when I saw it, I fell on my face. It was common in the ancient world for men to lie with their face on the ground when they came into the presence of their king. Ezekiel recognized that he was in the presence of the king of heaven and earth. Therefore, having seen the glory of God, he fell down before him in adoration, fear, and deep respect. Now, There are some commentators who read the book of Ezekiel and doubt his mental health. The visions that he had, his response to those visions, the strange symbolisms contained in these writings, the unusual things that he did, all of this taken together leads some some interpreters to conclude that Ezekiel was mentally unstable. But to come to that conclusion is to make a serious error. He was not mentally unstable. Rather, he was the recipient of the most powerful revelation imaginable. The splendor and power of God were so overwhelming that he fell on his face. There are a few things that we need to understand about this vision. First, this vision like Isaiah's in Isaiah 6, manifested the holiness of God. Manifested the holiness of God. Ezekiel saw the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God in burning fire and brilliant light. Now, fire in Scripture is often a symbol of God's holiness. When God appeared to Moses, how did he appear? He appeared in a burning bush. When Moses approached the bush, the Lord called to him and said, Moses, Moses, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Exodus 3 says, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. When Daniel also in Babylon, saw a vision of the glory of God. He saw that his eyes were like torches of fire and his face like the appearance of lightning. Daniel 10 tells us that great terror fell upon those who were with Daniel so that they fled to hide themselves. Daniel himself collapsed and fell into a deep sleep with his face to the ground. When the apostle John received a vision of the glory of Christ, Revelation 1.14, he also saw that his eyes were like a flame of fire. When John saw him, he fell at his feet as dead. Ezekiel, like Moses, Daniel, Isaiah, and the apostle John, was faced with the holiness of God, his transcendent majesty, his supreme superiority. congregation. All of Ezekiel's theological training had not prepared him for this vision of glory. Being from a priestly family, he had been trained in theology. He learned about God, was taught the attributes of God, studied his great works in Israel's history, And yet all his theological studies proved to be totally inadequate in preparing him to see the glory of God. He found out that all they had learned about God was only a thimble of water from the ocean. He had vastly underestimated his greatness. Brothers and sisters, isn't that also true of you and me? We study the character of God, the attributes of God. We're taught in Catechism classes about the holiness and righteousness of God, His perfection, and so forth. And yet, I believe, we vastly underestimate His greatness. The modern church often treats God like a friendly neighbor. He is brought down to the level of man and treated like our equal. He's a buddy that we can call upon for assistance. Many professing Christians today are conformed to the modern spirit, the spirit that spawns great thoughts of man and leaves room only for small thoughts of God. Consequently, many North American Christians treat worship as if they were at a baseball game or a clown show. Their sometimes flippant attitude in worship lowers people's expectations and there's little sense of dignity, awe, and respect. J.I. Packer has said that people often look at God, so to speak, through the wrong end of the telescope, so reducing him to pygmy proportions. We look at God through the wrong end of the telescope and he becomes very small. Ezekiel's vision should teach us that God is far greater than what we think. No matter how deep our knowledge of theology, there is much about the nature and character of God that is far beyond us. Let me say something to you about Ezekiel's vision that may sound rather confusing. If you fail to comprehend parts of Ezekiel's vision then you have already comprehended an important part. If you fail to comprehend parts of Ezekiel's vision, then you've already comprehended an important part. What do I mean? Well, I mean that God is beyond our comprehension. The finite cannot comprehend the infinite. Our knowledge is so limited by our humanity. There is always more to him than we apprehend. Therefore, if you fail to comprehend parts of Ezekiel's vision, then you may be on the right track. God is far beyond our comprehension. Second, not only did this vision reveal the holiness of God, it also brought to mind the sinfulness of man. The sinfulness of man. It was not only the transcendent majesty of God that caused Ezekiel to fall on his face in the dust. It was also the realization of his own sin and unworthiness that was revealed by the light of God's majesty. When God allowed Isaiah to get a glimpse of his glory, Isaiah said what? Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Having seen the glory of God, Isaiah was convicted of his own sinfulness. Surely that was also the experience of Ezekiel. In his Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin said, Man is never sufficiently touched and affected by the awareness of his lowly state until he has compared himself with God's majesty. You cannot arrive at a true knowledge of yourself until you have first of all looked in the face of God. Ezekiel saw an appearance of God in dazzling brilliance and he immediately realized that he was a wretched fallen, despicable sinner in need of grace. Congregation, that's also what this vision should teach you and me. As you ponder this revelation, you should see God's holiness and your sinfulness, God's power and your weakness, God's purity and your filthiness, God's righteousness and your unrighteousness. And that as you ponder this vision of glory, you should come to a greater conviction of your need for the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. For the day is coming, the day is coming when you will stand before this great, holy, and majestic God. You will stand before his awesome throne, The great cloud that Ezekiel saw in verse 4 reminds us of the fact that Jesus Christ will return on what? The clouds of heaven with power and great glory. During his trial, Jesus said to the high priest, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The apostle Paul told the Thessalonians that the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cloud, the fire, the brightness, the lightning, the throne, and the appearance of a man seated on the throne in Ezekiel's vision. All these things remind us of the return of our Lord at the end of the age. It's a preview of things to come. When the trumpet will sound and the Lord will descend, a preview of the coming of Jesus Christ. And so I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready? The only way that you can anticipate his coming with joy is by having your sins forgiven. You cannot stand before His holiness. You cannot stand before Him in your sin. You cannot face the brilliance of His splendor unless your transgressions are forgiven and your sins covered. The only way to stand before his glory is through the wonderful, forgiving grace of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew five, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Those who are cleansed of their sin will see God in all his beauty, glory and majesty and they will not be shaking in their boots. They will be able to sing, my God, how wonderful thou art, thy majesty, how bright, how beautiful thy mercy seat in depths of burning light. Dear friends, are you prepared for the day of Christ? Can you say with the psalmist, when I in righteousness at last thy glorious face shall see? When all the weary night is past and I awake with thee to view the glories that abide, then, then I shall be satisfied. It would be such a terrible tragedy. It would be such a terrible tragedy if someone here heard the gospel And yet you discover at the coming of Jesus that you are lost, eternally lost, forever lost. May it be that each and every one of us here this afternoon would fully embrace the grace that is found in Christ Jesus through his suffering and death so that we will be satisfied when the Son of Man returns on the clouds of heaven fully and eternally satisfied. His glorious face we shall see. Let us pray. Lord our God, we bow before your majesty, we confess that we have so much to learn, that we see so dimly, that a chapter like this we really can only catch small glimpses into your majesty because our minds are dim and our understanding is so limited, and yet, Lord, you do give us at least a glimpse, and we pray that each and every one of us here would stand in awe of your majesty, that we would see our own sin, and that we would flee for refuge to your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. We anticipate the day where the trumpet will sound And our Lord Jesus will come on the clouds of heaven. We will see him in his glory, in his majesty. So Lord, we pray that each and every person here will be ready for that great and glorious day. That there would be none present here who will experience your righteous wrath and indignation on that final day. Lord, would you look upon each and every one of us through your Son that we may know your grace and your mercy, that when that day comes and the Lord Jesus descends on the clouds, that we may behold him and be fully satisfied. Lord, humble us under your mighty hand. Fill us with that reverential awe. Even as Ezekiel stood in awe of what he saw, so may we, Lord, through this vision, come to a greater appreciation of who you are and what it cost that we unholy sinners may come into your holy presence. We pray, Lord, that you will teach us through this book, strengthen us in faith, give, her, give us, all of us, a greater understanding of your holiness, your majesty, your supreme superiority. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus.